All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Real Estate Podcast. I am your host going solo today. Where has Lisa been? No one knows. Today, we met with my friend, Richard Benyon. Richard is with a managing director at Avanti Residential. They're based out of Denver, multifamily owner and operator. He is based in the San Francisco Bay Area, actually a few towns away from me. Amazing guy. He has worked at, uh, at, at Carmel Partners for a long time, Harvard MBA, uh, did camp in uh, growing up in Idaho. So he's got a pretty great journey and a great story. So please listen and rate and review the podcast. As always, send us any questions you may have. And with that, enjoy the podcast. All right, Richard Benyon, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Chris. Um, my pleasure. So you are the managing director at Avanti Residential. Uh, you are based here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Can you tell us about the firm and where they're located generally? Yeah, so Avanti Residential is a firm based in Denver, Colorado, and you know they're, they have deep Colorado roots there. They were founded there 15 years ago, almost 20 years ago, actually. And, um, and really a couple of real estate multifamily broker partners, uh, for the old ARA, for those in the audience who remember oh, that, yeah. that brokerage firm, right? What yeah. So they, them? you know, they got acquired by Newmark about okay. five years ago. Or, that's right. Yep. Newmark ARA. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, so the, the two partners, uh, Doug Andrews and Jeff Hawks, who were running the, uh, the Denver office for ARA, they were doing quite a bit of, of the volume in that market. They also opened up offices in Phoenix for ARA as well as Salt Lake. Over, over their career, uh, they picked off deals for themselves and for friends and family. And they mm. had built up a, a portfolio of over 10,000 units. So wow. five years ago, when, when ARA sold to Newmark, Doug decided he wanted to have a second act in his career. And, and he took these disparate uh, deals that they had done all one off mm. and, and brought them under sort of brought management in-house and established and renamed the, the company uh, Avanti Residential. And, uh, and so that's, that's been the moniker for the past five years. And that's sort of our go forward plan here. And interestingly, interestingly, Avanti, it's the name of a run at in Vail for, oh. for at, uh, at the ski resort, but it goes back even further. Uh, the, the 10th, the 10th mountain infantry division was formed leading up to, or as part of the, the U S efforts in world war II. really, they, they saw, the need for Alpine trained soldiers uh, oh. fighting in the Alps and sort of in the, those high mountain environments over in the Europe, European theater. And so, wow. uh, so they, they got some soldiers to go train up in Vail. This is before any ski resorts were, were there. And they, their, their motto was Sempre Avanti, which is Italian for always forward. Uh, and wow, so okay. that's, that's, um, you know, those, those soldiers, those infantrymen, 
uh, came back from the war and they were some of the pioneers of the ski industry in Vail, right? They were, they were oh, founders okay. and, and leaders there. So uh, the name of the, of the ski run harkens back to the 10th, uh, 10th infantry. And again, the Colorado roots and this idea of moving ever forward or always forward uh, sort of spoke to us. And that's where we, where we pulled our name. That is a great story. Yeah. Kind of interesting. I like that. Yeah. And that's why you only mainly hire Italian people, right? <laughs> that's right. That's why we like Italians and skiers, right? You, you got to hit one of those two and, uh, and you're, you're going to be fine. <laughs> uh, that's a great story. So yeah. What's the, I mean, you, you, you've been there pretty recently or you joined there, right? Yeah. So I, I got recruited to join them at the start of the calendar year. So that's back in January. And, you know, the, the focus is all multifamily and, and we've been doing multifamily, like I said, in the, in the Western United States. And then in the past couple of years, the firm has expanded to the East, uh, into Kansas city, out into, to Florida. And currently we, uh, you know, we're looking for, for deals in a number of the other sort of Southeast markets where we perceive the opportunity to be ripe for, uh, for multifamily from a regulatory environment, uh, as well as, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the, the regular demand drivers of population and job growth. Is there a sort of like sweet spot that you guys are looking for? Like deal size? Is it like, are you doing, are you doing, uh, renovate, like value add? What's the, yeah, you know, it, it, that's an interesting question. So over the, the life of the firm, right to date, we've done 65 deals. Um, from, and that's from, you know, our first deals were in 2005, but we really, I think, started more in, in earnest in post GFC. So that would have been 2000, late 2008, 2009 and forward. And so the, the firm has shown an ability to invest and, and adapt the investment strategy to, to match the market cycle and, and, and the market opportunity. So, uh, you know, we were doing quite a few deals where we perceived that the market was poised to recover. So we were early into Phoenix back in 2012 and 13. We were the single largest buyer in, in Phoenix during that period. Wow. And then you see what happened in Phoenix. Uh, we were a big buyer in, in Denver and we've seen what, what's happened there. You know, we yeah. were in Denver in uh, 08, 09, going, going strong there. Um, we got into Kansas City uh, back in I think our first deal there was in 2019 and we have 2000 units in Kansas city. Now, again, that, that market has, uh, has grown tremendously. So I, I think the, the story here is at times we've done, we've done value add when, when that was sort of the best risk adjusted return, when we thought that we could both buy value and execute and create value. And then at other times we, you know, yeah. in, in recent you know, the past couple of years, we feel like there's been a lot of money chasing value add deals and, and the returns have been pretty thin. And so we, we saw a greater opportunity buying what we call core plus, right? So these would be deals that uh, aren't brand new, but, but they were built sometime in the last 10 years. And, uh, and, and we think they are, you know, these are deals that are well, well built, well located, you know, they, they offer a discount to the, the brand new product that's hitting the market today. Mm-hmm. And we think it's a compelling value for both the, the resident as well as for us as a buyer to come in, buy 
by the deal. And, uh, you know, many times we see opportunities to cure operational issues, whether loss to lease or, um, or just sort of bringing our in-house property management to bear and in, in the way that we approach things. Gotcha. That's great. And so you, you have a illustrious career and some, some, with some big shops, like what was the goal of bringing you in? Yeah. Uh, the goal of bringing me in was to grow the business and grow the, the capital relationships that, uh, that can help us grow the firm. You know, as I mentioned earlier, Avanti had, had funded their investments really through a family and friends strategy, you know, mm. raising deals on a one-off basis. And, you know, the, the reason for my joining, what really sort of compelled me to, uh, to join them was this opportunity to create a new line of business and, and to go serve institutional capital. I, I think this, this firm has a pretty compelling uh, track record. I think they have a compelling story. I think it's a, a group of, of leader, leaders who have a great background um, and having done this through, you know, through good times and bad and, and, and displayed an ability to do that. I think they're, they're poised to take off, but they need the capital relationships to help them grow. And I think the background that I have with institutions and, and other, um, I would say, growth investors in, in real estate multifamily platforms, that, that's really sort of where the marriage came together. Well, they definitely, yeah. I mean, adding you is a, is just a high pro high profile, you know, human capital acquisition. So, uh, congrats to them and congrats to you too. What, what, what is this? So for people who don't, who want to be, who's, you know, this kind of, your role sounds kind of interesting to them. Like what, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? What kind of skill sets have you uh, picked up over the years that, that are helpful to you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I seem to do a little bit of everything and, uh, and that's, that's not a cop-out. Really, what I've found is I started my career um, on the asset management side. Yeah, let's go there. Where did you, where did you, let's, maybe we'll start at the beginning. Where'd you grow <laughs> up? Did you get an, did you have an interest in real estate? Like, did you, did you always like want to, like, wow, that building looks great. I wish I came one, one day to own part of one that day, or something. Someday, you know, it's, it's not quite that romantic. I, I was an engineering undergrad. I went and worked for an engineering firm right out of college, uh, Black and Decker, actually. And I figured out pretty quickly, I didn't like the problems that engineers had to solve. The idea of trying to figure out how to get a little electric motor to spin faster or have more torque. I'm so grateful that people solve those problems. I really enjoy using the, the DeWalt tools that Black and Decker made. Right. Uh, yeah. But it, it wasn't, it just, it didn't speak to me. And so I, I was fortunate to go to business school at Harvard. And while there, you know, a parade of people come through both recruiting and just talking to the students about, about their career, similar to what we're doing here. And, and the ones that resonated the most with me were the real estate folks, you know, and, and that was because it was a mix of uh, a team. It was a mix of being entrepreneurial. It, uh, it, it had a technical aspect, which sort of spoke to my engineering background, um, but it, it wasn't just hiding behind, a, not hiding, it wasn't just staying behind a computer 
and working on, you know, that, that, that little electric motor Widget. problem. Yeah. Yeah. It was getting out and, and engaging with the world and the people around you to figure out how you can make it better. And, and, and so, uh, I figured let's go give that a shot. And so what I, what I was, the harsh reality I, I encountered first was most real estate folks don't value an MBA and, uh, <laughs> And especially somebody who's coming from an engineering background, uh, a manufacturing engineering background, wanting to get into real estate. I mean, I was, I was less than worthless to most real estate shops, except on the <laughs> private equity side. And I found on the private equity side that they valued, um, they, they valued sort of my background and the, the degrees that I had obtained. And so that's, that's what I got into. I joined a shop in Menlo Park, California. And uh, that's that's what got me here to the West. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, and then joined Carmel Partners uh, in San Francisco, just about sort of a year later. And that's that's I think really sort of where I grew up in the real estate industry. And as I was getting to earlier, you know, my first role was in asset management, managing a portfolio of oh, I want to say fifteen thousand units, primarily in Colorado, though there were a handful in Arizona and Texas as well. And, and that's sort of where I learned the nuts and bolts of real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just sort of figuring out, okay, we need, how do you get more leases? How do you control your expenses? Right. You got to grow NOI, but you have to make investments And those, those investments, those capital investments you're making need to be strategic and there needs to be a return associated with it. And so how do you build a case and how do you, understand the market to to determine what what the market will pay for as far as a unit renovation or common area improvements and that was that was a wonderful experience it's over over about five years we we repositioned almost every one of those properties to a certain degree and then ultimately sold it off in a in, in a series of transactions um, that amounted to about a billion dollars which at that time in my career sounded, it was awesome. It was great. Except I was out of a job. <laughs> I had yeah. this wonderful experience and I'm an asset manager with no assets. Um, was Carmel the big shop it is now? Like I, I moved to the Bay area in 2011 and Carmel was like the big, it was, I, I thought it was a pretty big shop. Was it like, I don't remember it in 07 when you joined, was it a, a big shop back then? No, it was, it was pretty small. I mean, there were, there were what, maybe, well, so we had in-house property management, so that that would have inflated our our personnel count from of about I think we were around 250. But mm-hmm. sort of the if you exclude property management and the people on site, there were maybe 55 of us. So it was, it was smaller. You know, today you know they're raising billion plus dollar funds every few years, right? right? That and big. that's 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 much bigger than. Um, than when I joined, but, you know, getting to be a part of that growth was, you know, a tremendous blessing and, and good fortune in my career. Yeah. And then, sorry, sorry, I cut you off there before. So you were doing asset management. You did such a good job. You worked yourself out of a job and then what happened? Yeah. And then, uh, and then I was invited to join the capital raise side. We were just okay. getting into, so this would have been 2000. Oh, I'm getting getting too old, but I think it would have been probably around 2011, 2012. 
and we were we were just going out to raise our first fund post GFC. Uh, and again, I didn't have a the, but my role had been had, had disappeared on me within the firm. They had a need for some more people working on the capital raise side. The guy that I joined, um, who was responsible for capital raising at the time, John Williams, uh, who's now at Avanath, he uh, he ended up leaving sort of three months into this capital raise, and so it was me and Ron Zeff, the the founder of uh, of Carmel Partners, and it was um, it was terrifying in some ways, right? Just because <laughs> the the two of us, I mean, he he knew what he was doing, but he was relying on me to to do a lot of it. And uh, so we went out and, and raised the fund and were wonderfully successful. And that's, we did that, you know, two or three more times uh, together. And it was, it was a great experience. But we, I guess what I was getting at is one of the benefits for me of having that asset management background is as I, as I really sort of found my footing in capital raising, I could rely upon that firsthand experience to to educate the people that I'm talking to about investing with us and give them mm-hmm. confidence that, that we understand really at the, at the ground level, what's going on, right? Cause again, what, what those investors are looking for are people and processes that they can trust and they understand how they're going to behave and being able to articulate from, from personal experience, how we do, uh, how we do what we do again, whether it's leasing or maintenance or capital improvements, or how we underwrite deals, um, how we, uh, you know, how we how we find deals, all that sort of stuff has been tremendously valuable. And that's yeah, because you're selling something, right? And so essentially, you're selling something to these people, and you want them to invest with you, and you you know the product. It's like somebody who comes up, you know, built cars and then sells selling cars. Totally. I mean, I I think I think just that that firsthand experience has made me a much more capable uh, capital raiser or salesman, right? To put a more generic term on it. And I think that, that to me has been an appeal of going to these smaller shops. You know, Carmel was smaller when I joined them. It's because at various points in time, even though my role was maybe over here, we had, you know, all hands had to come and get involved to underwrite a big portfolio that we were evaluating or to go look at deals, uh, in connection with that portfolio that we were under a time crunch to, uh, to understand and put an offer in. So, you know, that, that small environment allowed for a lot of communication, it's sort of efficient communication, understanding what everyone is doing and seeing how what you do affects others, which then again, just helps in that, in that sales process of, of articulating what an investor is purchasing when they, when they invest with you. So what, I mean, a capital raiser raises capital, but what, what, what did, are you just what do you do? smiling yeah. and dialing or what, what do you do all day? Yeah. So what I'm doing is I, I am putting together a, a presentation that conveys what, what do we do? Right. And then, and then I'm going out and I'm talking to people and trying to, trying to get them interested in taking a meeting with us and then using that, presentation, you know, 30 pages of glossy photos and charts to make the case of why multifamily, why Avanti, why now? Hmm. And, and, uh, and get them interested enough to then come out and engage and go look at deals, 
come learn more about Avanti and talk to our people. And, and so some of it is the, the nitty gritty of, of cold calls. Some of it is just relationship development and relationship management with people that I know. Uh, some of it is, is putting together gathering insights, right? Talking to my investments team and saying, what are they seeing and putting that together and disseminating that out, whether through a post or through a white paper or through an email that goes out mm -hmm. to, uh, to a list. Again, just establishing Avanti as a market leader or a market expert in multifamily that, uh, you know, that, that people will trust and will say, Hey, these guys know what they're doing. If I want to do something in multifamily, I ought to consider partnering with uh, with Avanti. Yeah, and like, what are the sources of capital that a capital raiser looks to in order to raise this type of capital? Well, yeah, I'm not sure there's any source of capital that a capital raiser would look down upon. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you, uh, yeah, where do you get your, your names names from and who to connect with and, and um, all that? Yeah, jazz. so. You know, it comes, you're, you're attending industry conferences um, and getting to know people there. I think, you know, the, the most effective one that I've found is you got to find your way into, let's say it starts with one investor. And my favorite thing to do is, especially if they're interested, say, you know, ask them the question of, hey, I really appreciate that, that you've spent some time with us. You seem to be interested. Who else do you know that that may have interest in what we're doing, right? And it's just, it's some of this networking 101 um, right. that that you just sometimes you may not want to do it. Sometimes you may feel like it's it's beneath you, but it, like the the fundamentals are the fundamentals for a reason, right? You you got to work on them. And uh, that's what and I always yeah I tell the junior people on my team like always ask them who they may know. Because people yeah. don't think about that. People don't think about that. They're like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm not interested. They don't think, oh, yeah, maybe I'll refer someone to say ask them. So, anyways. And, and, in fact, and in fact, some of the people that uh, that aren't interested are are wonderful to ask of who may be interested. Because you know, human nature uh, at sometimes it's you know, some people don't like to say no, right? So if you give them an opportunity to be helpful after they have have turned you you down. I've gotten some wonderful uh, recommendations uh, in a in that dynamic where I thought, hey, there's no way in the world this person is going to want to help me because they just rejected me. They didn't right. reject me. They, they rejected my message. Right. <laughs> and then, uh, and then it comes together, right? I think, I think that's that's been a wonderful lesson uh, in my career. So if somebody's junior in the career and they want to be the next Richard Venian um, and be a capital raiser. Like what, what would you suggest they do? What, what kind of skill set do they, should they learn? Um, yeah. What, what should they be learning over to pick up to be a good capital raiser? You know, uh, I think, you know, they, they've got to know the numbers, right? They have to know quantitatively, how does it all work together and be able to speak fluently that, that language, but they also, and, and I think this is an important one. They have to be able to see it from the other side of the, of the table. Right. You know, I talk to my investment guys and they are so passionate about how they see it because they're looking, you know, from from one side to, to the next. And what what they don't sometimes appreciate and what what I think 
I would encourage anyone who wants to get into capital raising to develop is you may be selling it from this side, but you have to understand it from the other side. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you, when you understand it from, uh, from the, from the other side, then you can better craft your value proposition to be interesting to that investor that you're looking to raise capital from. Right. But right. If, if you frame everything in, in terms of why this makes sense for me as the sponsor, you're going to have a very hard time uh, getting, getting capital to engage with you. Right. It's, it's really more about how does what you're doing serve the needs of, of capital. So hard to do that. Yeah, I get it. Um, everyone wants to get their own agenda across. Um, and, and part of that is just, you just have to get to know, you got to get to know your, your counterparts, both personally, right? Because you need to be able to just have a dialogue with them. And then, and then quantitatively, how do, they, how do they look at deals? And how do they look at opportunities? And are they, you know, are they, what, what are their key, key hot points, right? Some people may be focused a lot on price per unit, for, for example, and others may be focused on replace, you know, value relative to replacement costs, you know, all, all these sorts of things. You just have to understand what their hot buttons are. And unfortunately, people don't give them to you just willy-nilly, right? You, you have to develop that relationship and, and engage with them enough that you start to, to understand it and that they, they, they trust you to share that. Is it generally a slow process to, from first conversation to partnering with someone? Yes. Yeah. Lightning doesn't strike very often. Uh, it does occasionally, but it's, I would say it's, it's probably measured in years, right? You know, if, if someone engages to learn about the firm, they typically want to see, you know, they, they want to see 12 months or, or more of, of behavior, right? How do right. you, how do you react? How do you behave? Especially if you're raising a closed end fund, because they're not investing in a deal, right? They're right. investing in, in a team and in a process. And they need to understand how you, how you act given market conditions. And does that align with how, how they would act, right? Because you are effectively taking their capital and investing on their behalf. Right. So, so you need alignment in how you evaluate market opportunities. So, you know, it, that's, that's long in terms of if you're raising a closed end vehicle, right. Or a discretionary vehicle. If you're, if you're raising for a deal, it can be much quicker, right. It can be a matter of months because that, that timer on, on a deal, it, it's going to go off, right. That it's going to buzz. And if you're not in, you know, you're out of luck and, and that helps to spur the process along with those deal by deal, uh, capital sources. I like that. You're yeah. With a fund, your closed end fund, you're engaging in a team and a process. I like that. That's a good way to look at it. Um, all right. Well, we got through this part of the podcast. I've been going easy on you. Okay. <laughs> so are you ready for the hot seat? All right. Fire away. Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. 
They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. You might, take, you might have to take that sweater off. Um, <laughs> do you have a book and or podcast recommendation? Oh, I, I really like Atomic Habits. And okay. I've read it as a book. I'm sure there's probably a podcast out there that either hits on it or, or maybe is it. But the idea of lots of incremental Im- improvements in, in areas that you see a direct correlation to what you're trying to achieve, as well as those ones that are maybe adjacencies. So, you know, it's, it's very infrequent that we see the ability to improve what we do by 15, 20% but there's always opportunities to improve by a couple percent. And, uh, and, and I think it's establishing these habits that make for these small improvements that over time uh, really have the capacity to, to make big changes and big improvements. Wow. You're good, man. I can see why you're good at capital raising. You're very well-spoken. <laughs> very kind very organized thoughts. Great. Uh, I haven't read that book and you're not the first person that's mentioned it. I don't, I don't believe in this podcast. Uh, I also mentioned, I also, we had John on John Williams on the podcast too. Years oh ago. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Um, what has been your most memorable deal, whether it's capital raising or maybe on the asset management side or something stuck out to you? Uh, my most memorable deal, I would say, you know, uh, at Carmel, we we went to raise a fund and it didn't meet the market and we just fell flat and it was brutal, right? It was very, very painful. We tried to do an open-ended fund and um, other, other groups have successfully done it in the subsequent years, but either we were too early or maybe we didn't have, you know, there was something wrong with what we did because it didn't work. Um, and and it was, we, we then had to pivot very quickly to go back to raising sort of closed end funds. And, and we had, we had inf- there were lots of self-inflicted wounds that we were trying to overcome as we went back out now to go having yeah. fallen on our face to go raise a, a new fund. We went back to the same investors that had already told us no for this open end structure and had to convince them that you know, even though we had, you know, we were somewhat whipsawing them back and forth, which is never a good thing to do as a fund sponsor. Right. Right. We had to re- regain their, their trust. And it was, it was incredibly painful and, and very stressful, but we were successful in raising, uh, you know, hitting our, our target capital raise, which at the time was a billion dollars. So, you know, it was, it was simultaneously the most painful 
but also the most rewarding, probably because of the, the pain and the challenges that we had to overcome uh, in, in doing that. It sounds like when I do like a homework assignment and then we talked about school earlier, but like you do a paper and then you realize you wrote the wrong paper, you know, or answer the question, you got to write it over again. It's the worst. It's the worst. It is like the worst. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, it is when it's self-inflicted. You just feel like, oh, how, how could I have done this to myself? But, um, but again, it is memorable, right? The, I think that the question was memorable and that's, that's the one. Yeah. Lessons learned. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't learn anything if you do everything correct all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's certainly not my problem. So we're good. <laughs> uh, now we, I am a re recruiter. So what, what do you look for when you're, you've hired people in the past, I'm sure. Like what sort of characteristics do you look for when, when you're hiring people? You know, one of my favorite ones to, to keep in the back of my head is would I enjoy spending time with this person on a four, five hour flight delay, right? If I'm sitting in the, <laughs> in the airport with them, uh, you know, cause we spend a lot of time with each other through work and, and we're in stressful situations. And I, I just, I want to, I want to engage with people that I enjoy with that, that I can enjoy spending time with. Um, I think there's, there's, there's certainly a level of sort of technical capabilities that, that, you know, I would say that's more of a, a threshold item. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I think being bright and inquisitive and curious, those are all wonderful things that I, I look for. But, you know, the one that I think stands out is often that, that sort of flight delay. Can I, will I enjoy spending time with this person? Can we engage in intelligent conversation? You know, whether about work or other things. Um, and, and that has been very helpful to me in, uh, in, in picking the right people. Because inevitably, again, at these smaller shops that I've, I've chosen to build my career around, I need people who are, are capable of, of wearing different hats and of, and of doing things that they never contemplated. And I, a guy I recently hired who has a, a great technical background and is very good with the numbers. I put him to work recently on, uh, on going out and finding and, and making the, the case through market research as to why multifamily now. And that's not something that he'd ever done before, but he was, he was willing to do it because he was curious and, uh, and he was open to, uh, to doing new things. And, and it was very helpful. And so that, that that has been sort of my my experience to date. Love it. Now this is the Impact Real Estate Podcast. Which which mentors and or just one mentor has had have had the most impact upon you in your career? Oh, I would say there have been a couple. So in college during the summers, I worked at a boys' ranch as a counselor up in in Idaho, in Teton Valley, Idaho. So that's just to the west side of the, of the Tetons, west of, of Jackson Hole. Mm -hmm. and, and the director at the camp there uh, was a guy named Steve Peterson. And he was, was and is still a, a tremendous mentor to me in, in the idea of taking ownership for your responsibilities and just carrying it through to the best of your ability. He, he would give all of the counselors, different assignments, and then not a lot of definition as to what you should do with it. 
<laughs> and 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 yeah. so you really had to go for that camp to function right you know for the activities for the meals for um for some of the service projects that we did you know all of it you know for the camping and the hikes and then you know taking care of the the vehicles that were camp vehicles all that stuff was assigned out to counselors to oversee and he was there as a resource but you had to take ownership for Hey, this is my responsibility. How am I going to do it? And and year to year, things were very different because different people came into these roles. Um, but that was a powerful lesson to me early on, of you know, don't don't wait around for somebody to tell me what to do. Take ownership for it. And uh, and the the firm, the people have trusted you by hiring you. So put your talents to work and go for it. And you know, lots of communication and check in to make sure you're doing. You know, you're on the right right path, but it was uh, it was really empowering to me uh, to say, go do it and uh, and and take responsibility for it again, sink or swim. I love that. The, the other one I would just cite is um, is Don Campbell, who was the COO at, at Carmel Partners, and he hired me into the firm, and uh, and it was, you know, I came in originally as an analyst and it was it was Don who put me in the role very young in my career with limited experience overseeing that that portfolio of whatever it was 15,000 units or so and then it was him who uh, who helped me get into that capital raising role right he has been just instrumental in in giving me opportunity and, and providing the scaffolding to support me in that uh, as I Un, you know, undoubtedly stumbled my way through trying to to push the stone up the hill. Awesome. Well, Richard, that was a great podcast. Thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with us. No problem. Happy to do it. I uh, I appreciate the invitation and uh, and you know what you're doing to to help the real estate industry sort of be more out there, be more open. Right. It's it's uh, it's a great great industry and I appreciate your, uh, your work to grow it.